many of us work out with weights. And, and we do that not because we want to walk around every day carrying weights around, but because the long-term effect of doing that weightlifting is that we're building our muscles and making it easier to do everyday tasks more efficiently. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. Today's conversation is with Lisa Scott, a speech pathologist who has turned her attention to the particular needs of presenters who either need more confidence or need help with their speech clarity. This episode may be of particular interest to you if you are a non-native speaker of English who sometimes struggles to be understood. You'll want to hear about the physicist at the hardware store. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Ode, your host, and on this program we have a mix of content and conversations, specifically on the subject of how your work may be something that would change the world, but only if people know about it. So we talk a lot about not only science, but about communication. I have scientists on this program who are expert communicators. I've had engineers. And today we have a communication professional. I'm very pleased to have recently made the acquaintance of Lisa Scott, with whom I have shared the stage at some scientific conferences. Hi, Lisa. I'm glad to have you here on the show today. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Let me tell you just a little bit about Lisa. Lisa is a speech pathologist by training who enjoys working with STEM professionals and helping them overcome communication barriers to gain a competitive edge in what they do. And Lisa, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about your background and uh, how you went from being uh, a speech pathologist, which you still are, but into one who specializes in what you do and, and maybe tell us exactly what that is. <laughs> Certainly, I'd be glad to. Well, so I did spend many years as a speech pathologist working with younger children who had some type of developmental issue in their speech and language skills. And while I loved doing that, at some point, everybody likes to experience a change. And in fact, what happened for me specifically was I got a phone call one day from a friend who wanted to know if I could help a friend of hers whose job was at risk because she couldn't be understood on the phone. And at the time, I didn't really know anything about the field of accent reduction, but she knew I was a speech pathologist and thought I should be able to do something to help this woman. And so I put my head together with a friend of mine who specialized in working with adults in speech. And we came up with some strategies that were very helpful for this lady. And she was so appreciative that I, I began thinking in ways I hadn't before, well, this would be a fabulous way to, to repurpose my skills. And so then I began exploring and found that there was, in fact, some specialized training in accent reduction, which I then took and later launched my business as it is now, working with adults who are not native speakers of English and want to improve their pronunciation, and those who are native speakers and want to be more strong communicators. Okay, so so you do both. There's really kind of two uh, two paths there, uh, working with non-native speakers to help them be understood more clearly. 
mm-hmm. which is more of the the way they actually speak, and then working with others who may be native English speakers but could still communicate more effectively. So tell me a little bit more about what you do with that latter group. Okay. Well, in some instances, uh, people from different parts of the country may have a distinct dialect that they don't love the way that it sounds. And so we can work to modify that just as we do with an accent from a different language that wants to, they want to come closer to sounding like a standard American speech. So I can do both of those. And I also work with people who may not be confident in how they sound. So they are perfectly clear when they speak, but maybe they're too quiet or maybe they're too loud and they come across as angry and they don't think that they're angry. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're monotone or too sing-songy. There's lots of different elements of our speech and our communication that affect how we come across and how we're perceived by other people. So what I like to tell people is that it's not just what you say, but how you say it that makes the difference. Not what you say, but not just what you say, but how you say it, which, of course, we've all heard many times. And Mm -hmm. so you work primarily on the how you say it side. I do. You don't uh, work specifically so much with people on the content of their presentations? Typically, if we're working on presentations together, they're coming with at least an outline of their content already in mind. I I do. I do help people to make that content more engaging. Um, I have some clients that give very data-heavy presentations and may want to tone down that data or put a little story around it to make it more engaging, Oh yes. look at how to adapt it for different audiences. So I do some of that. I think that's maybe where you and I overlap a bit in, in what we do. I think so. I think so, yeah, because I work with people to make their presentations less data-heavy and more engaging. You'll find mm-hmm. the story. As mm-hmm. a scientist, you may be tra- trained to find the story in your data. Uh, but what we can do is go a step further and, and look at how to share the story in that data. Because somehow mm-hmm. the, the story uh, telling kind of gets lost, doesn't it? <laughs> a lot it of does. Yeah. And making sure that we're telling the right story for the right audience as well. The right story for the right audience. Tell me more about that. Well, when I, when I have people who are working with me who may give grant funding presentations, or they may be speaking to colleagues, or they may be speaking, they may be a technical professional and speaking to people outside the field entirely. And so in that case, particularly, they would need to totally reshape that story to make it relevant to the different audiences. Because what's of value to a grant funder what's of value to a scientist colleague and what's of value to a layperson who might use the end result are all very different. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. And I, I work with speakers quite often on starting with the audience, starting with understanding what the audience needs mm-hmm. rather than starting with your information, which is so counterintuitive to people to give <laughs> information heavy presentations, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. You know, you mentioned a moment ago uh, working with uh, people who may uh, sound angry just because they're so loud and intense when they present. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of someone I worked with um, early in my coaching days, working one-on-one with other speakers. A woman came to me who's now, uh, from all, from what I can tell, very successful on the motivational speaking circuit. She's a former Olympian and a former uh, championship basketball, college basketball coach. And when I started working with her, I won't mention her name because this is backstory. Um, 
she came across, I suspect, much the way she came across on the sidelines of a basketball game. <laughs> Intense and loud, and uh, you know her 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 affect came across right. as if she was angry because of her intensity, and so I had to work with her on drawing the audience into her stories, and and now I look at her and I see her in videos and I think. Uh, how far she's come. And I don't take full credit for that by any means, but I did help her take at least one or two steps in that direction. I bet you have some success stories like that too. Yeah, that that's a, a really can be a more common issue than we might realize um, trying to tone down that, that angry tone and also to, to increase the, the soft spoken. I, I probably have more clients coming from the other direction than I do from, from the high end. I have, I've worked with a number of scientists who are absolutely brilliant, who have all kinds of amazing discoveries. But when they get up to give a presentation, they're not projecting the power and, and amazing results that they've gotten. They seem to make themselves small. Make themselves so small. we work on taking up more space. So kind of the opposite of what you were talking taking about. Taking up but, more space. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Taking up more space, owning the stage is another way to say that, mm -hmm. so that you can project more easily. And they are often surprised to discover the difference in how much more confident you look and sound simply by making that shift. Because if you're accustomed to standing at the podium and looking down at your notes and you're holding yourself tight, it's really hard to project well and to sound confident. If you make that simple shift of looking up um, opening your arms wider and just owning that space. It really gives a whole different sound and demeanor to your presence on stage. What a seemingly simple thing to work with someone on. And yet uh, I'm sure that doesn't happen in one step from you telling them you need to do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, as we know, confidence is the thing that everyone wants, but it's not an overnight thing, right? No. It's it's a step-by-step -step and often starts with interchange because yeah. we can change the external, but if we don't believe that we can be that confident person, we're still not going to continue to show up like that. And, and that confidence that you project, uh, I think, makes the audience feel more comfortable and more engaged with you. Would you agree? I do agree. They play off of how we, or how the perception that we give off. So if we stand on the stage and we don't appear confident about what we have to say, it's a whole lot harder to convince them that we're convinced of it, right? Yes, that's right. The first sale is to yourself. Yes. <laughs> well, you're talking about physical space, and, and here we are. The irony is not lost on me that you and I are talking <laughs> about that in a virtual space. And so much of what I've been doing, and I imagine what you've been doing for the last year and a half, mm -hmm. uh, has been, of course, virtual. How has that changed what you're doing and, and the challenges that your clients bring to you? Well, obviously, we're not doing as much on the stage work at this point, but I do get requests for how do I show up better on a Zoom call? And in the early days, and you probably did the same, we were doing things as simple as you need to have a light shining on you. You need to sit closer to the camera. You need to have a good microphone. Now, things that now most of us consider commonplace that we didn't even think about. 
when the pandemic started, you right? You have your camera at eye level and not exactly. looking up at you. <laughs> <laughs> all those things, all those things that have become something we've all done. In terms of how I work with clients, it hasn't, in other areas, it has not changed significantly because I was doing online work uh, from the beginning, since the um, mid-2000s. So I've been doing that for a long time. I had some in person and some online. And so now I just had transitioned to everybody online. But that part of it didn't really change too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So beyond those basics that we assume most people are getting now about light, microphone, the technical sure. aspects, uh, what's one other thing you might work with someone on in terms of uh, communicating more effectively with an audience they may not even be able to see? That's a great question. One of the things that I really emphasize is clarity of speech, because I think it's so easy for us to get that mumbly sound. You know, the phone, even before Zoom, the phone was always the hardest for communicating. Mm -hmm. And Zoom still is, or whatever your video call. Whatever platform uh, you're using. using. Right. Right. So I think that the concept of over-enunciation, which is what I teach to all of my clients, is really key for any communicative endeavor, particularly when it's virtual, whatever it might be. Um, and that is simply that you want to slow down just a little bit. You want to speak a little bit louder and carefully enunciate every syllable of every word. Now, when we practice that, sometimes we over, over enunciate in practice, more so kind of an exaggeration, Mm -hmm. more so than we would do in regular speech. But then we pull that back just a little, but we still keep the speech more crisp than we would in a face-to-face conversation. Uh, Did I understand correctly that you have a, something of a theatrical background as well? Or theatrical techniques? A a little bit. That's, there is some crossover between some of the theatrical techniques and the speech pathology techniques. So I have combined a lot of that. I did do some acting. I did not study it in college per se, other than to participate in plays. But I do use some of those principles of vocal projection and enunciation in working with my clients to make them better presenters. The reason I ask is that's another point of overlap. Because okay. I've done some theater as well. Um, it was something I didn't start doing until well into adulthood. Uh, I just felt, I don't know if it was self-consciousness over my hearing impairment, uh, but I just, I didn't let myself try some things that I actually wanted to at a younger age. And finally, okay. it took some <laughs> quite a few years of adulting before I said to heck with that. I'm just going to go ahead and try it and let someone else say no if they want to say no, but I'm not going to say it for them. And I got cast in some musicals because I sing and uh, some uh, some straight plays as well. And over and over, I've had directors tell me, give me more, David. I'll tell you if it's too much. You can always back off if you give me too much, but you're not there yet. <laughs> so I, it sounds like that's somewhat the same thing you're talking about with the over-enunciating. I'll tell you when it's too much and we can back mm-hmm. off, but you're not there yet. Right, right. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I describe that technique to, to my clients. I try to encourage them by explaining that many of us work out uh, with weights, Right. Right. And, and we do that not because we want to walk around every day carrying weights around, 
but because the long-term effect of doing that weightlifting is that we're building our muscles and making it easier to do everyday tasks more efficiently. And that's basically the same thing we're doing with this over-enunciation. We're building up all these muscles so that they work more efficiently. What a great analogy. Yeah, because it really is muscle work, isn't it? It absolutely is. It takes all these little muscles of the face and and throat and everything to make the sounds and make them clear enough that that people can understand them. Yes. Um, uh, I I had not thought of that analogy before, but uh, that's really brilliant. Um, yeah, well, I think it came from, I think it came from watching clients during sessions going, Oh, my cheeks are so tired. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that. I can imagine that to be true. I did take, uh, while I didn't pursue theater in college, I had done oral and terp in high school. I did take some courses from the drama department when I was an undergraduate. And one of those was voice and diction. Uh-huh. I still remember taking that voice and diction course, and I was working on the radio at the time, and so there was a, a natural overlap, a chance to practice things and hear what I sounded like. Um, the uh, it was the uh, oh, this gentleman wrote the book that so many people used. Maybe you're familiar with it, and and taught well into old age, uh, well into his 90s. I don't think he's alive and teaching anymore. Arthur Lassac. I don't know if you're familiar with him and his work, but that was the. Uh, that was the program that I studied. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I, I might not be. <laughs> Wouldn't that be ironic? <laughs> Take a course in diction and mispronounce the author's name. So um, what, is, what is one tip that you would uh, leave my audience with if someone listening or watching this wants to start down the road of being more understandable or more energetic at the lectern? What's the mm-hmm. the low-hanging fruit here? Well, I think there are a couple of concepts that, that I really like to, to make a point of when people are just starting out, and that is that you want to come across confident, you want to come across clear, and you want to connect with your audience. So for confidence, my one takeaway, my favorite is the power pose. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Uh uh, what was what was her name at at Harvard? Um, Amy Cuddy. Amy Cuddy. That's right. I've um, I've cited her work and uh, some of her book uh, presence mm-hmm. as well. Yes. On my shelf, love that mm-hmm. book. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, so tell us more about that. Well, it's a very simple, quick technique that boosts your confidence because it changes the you inside. So it increases your testosterone, which is what makes you feel confident. And it decreases the cortisol, which is your stress hormones, so -hmm. that you have that calm confidence. And the power pose is simply, for those of us who are old enough to remember the old Wonder Woman TV shows, it's also sometimes known as the Wonder Woman pose, where you've got your hands on your hips and your standing shoulder, um, your feet are shoulder width apart. You just stand that way for about two minutes prior to walking into a meeting or walking on stage where you're going to present. And that's really all there is to it. There's nothing else you have to do. You just assume that that pose. Stand in the power pose. And I've had clients tell me that was some of the most valuable and easy to implement tips that they got from working with me. Mm-hmm. So there's a that's a great takeaway is that one. Oh, okay. Okay. Is there a particular um, breathing that they should be doing during those two minutes? Or well, if you know if you know how to diaphragm breathe, that's the ideal. Right. Mm-hmm. So the deep diaphragm breathing. But even if you don't, 
simply standing that way, you will still see positive effects. Okay. So that's All the right. that's the quick tip to get yourself a boost of confidence. The quick the tip term. to get a boost of confidence. Okay. Yeah. All right. So if I've uh, if I've mastered that and I'm using the power pose before I go on stage, what would be the next thing? The next thing would be to take that deep breath and then to be sure that you're being clear by practicing that over enunciation as you speak. Mm-hmm. So take a good look at your audience, look around and be sure that you're pronouncing carefully as you speak. Now, here's a tip for delivering a presentation where I differ from a lot of other presentation coaches. And I think this has to do with my work with people who are not native speakers having to to think a little harder maybe about the exact words that they want to use. So many coaches, and I don't know where you come down on this Mm -hmm. actually, but many coaches recommend that you work from an outline because they say that if you try to memorize your speech, it will sound too memorized. Well, I tend to differ with that because I think that writing out the whole speech word for word, there's a couple things that does for you. One, it really allows you to collect your thoughts, to get your transitions tight so that you don't ramble as you're changing from one slide to another or lose your train of thought. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to memorize every word, but the act of writing it out word for word just helps to solidify a better story in your mind. And the second part of that is then it allows you to employ what I call the telegraph method. Remember the old telegrams that we would see? Uh, you know, you'd only send as many, many words as you needed, right? No filler words <laughs> well, allowed. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, I'm, I'm just old enough that um, at, at our wedding reception, uh, we actually had a couple of congratulatory telegrams read to oh, us really? from people who, well, who were that? unable to attend because they were halfway around the world. <laughs> That's been my one real-life experience with telegrams. I love that. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, but you don't have the A's and A's and these. You just have the, the key words. And that's right. a technique that I teach for varying your intonation and making your, your speech come more alive is think about the telegram, what word you would pay to send. What word you would pay to send. Hmm, and those are I the like words that. that you want to make sure you emphasize when you're speaking. I will uh, put your mind at ease when I tell you that you and I are on exactly the same page, written page, when it comes to writing out your speech. I advocate for that as well, for the same reasons you mentioned. You have an opportunity to think carefully about what you're going to say. You can wordsmith it, especially the all-important transitions, which Mm -hmm. are what I recommend people memorize are those transitions. Because you'll know your content. The transitions are what keep you on track. I mean, think about memorizing the directions to to drive to a friend's house. What do you memorize? The turns. Mm -hmm. Right? You don't memorize every store or house you drive past, but you memorize the turns. And that's what's going to get you to your destination. The other thing about writing out a presentation, of course, is then you can edit it. Mm -hmm. Because you can't edit what hasn't been created. And you get a word count. That all-important word count for timing purposes, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you'll know this better than I do because of your background in speech pathology and you're working with with, uh, non-native speakers, but is it true that most speakers, at least I would assume of North American English, uh, speak between 125 and 150 words per minute, or is there some other range that you work with? That's an average, and it really depends on the part of the country. 
So some okay. parts of the country are on that upper upper end or even up to 160 as an oh. average. Okay. And others are more on the lower end. So mm-hmm. I do vary the target a little bit depending on which part of the country the person lives in and what they're comfortable with, just their natural rate of speaking. I see. So once an individual knows what their own rate is, then simple math will tell you how many minutes those words translate to. I mean, if you speak, mm-hmm. as I do, at about 140 words per minute, and you've got um, 10 minutes, and you've got 1,400 words written, you're in good shape. If you've got 2,000 words written, and you've got 10 minutes to speak, then you know you've got mm-hmm. some work to do. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is a good guide for, for uh figuring out the length of a presentation. Yes, yes, uh, we, can, we can agree on that. I, I do agree exactly with what you're saying, that the importance of writing it, but not reading it or trying to memorize it word for word. Mm-hmm. I usually uh, advocate for my clients that they memorize the, the opening, the closing, and the key transitions. Is that similar to Sounds what you Sounds like do? we are exactly on the same page there. So. I, I knew there was a reason I wanted you on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Because we have that that overlap, and yet you've got such a different background. You know, my background is in broadcast engineering, and then I was involved in a training project, and that's what catapulted me out of television and into a second career as a speaker and trainer. And uh, you have that background in speech pathology and found a need which represented a niche that you've worked to fill. So congratulations Mm -hmm. on that. Well, thank you. Um, what's your most interesting story of helping uh, a non-native speaker uh, gain confidence and uh, connect with their audience by the improvements you were able to help them make? I think probably my favorite one was an, an early client that I had, and he was a PhD in physics. And his story of why he came to me, you may have heard this, I can't remember, but he went to Home Depot one morning to get uh, some items to fix his sink. And he couldn't be understood by the employee. He kept asking for air remover. And the employee said, why do you need to remove air? And in frustration, he grabs his hair and says, air remover to get the air out of my sink. So we started working on that H. (laughs) I had not heard that. (laughs) (laughs) True story. (laughs) Yes, that is a great story. That must have been so frustrating for them both. Yes, yes. And he so he came to me and was like, I need to fix this. And so we worked on that H sound and and other sounds that he needed in order Mm -hmm. to enunciate more clearly when he was presenting. And just a few months later, he went to a conference where he presented annually. And he was so excited because colleagues came up to him after his presentation and said, what have you done? You're so much easier to understand than you were last year. So. Oh, that's wonderful. And did he point them back to you and say, I worked with this one woman who was amazing. Right. <laughs> so that was really encouraging to, to, for him to experience that, that level of success. I'll bet that was. What a great testimonial. What a great testimonial. I've enjoyed this conversation, Lisa. Thank you for joining me on my show today. Absolutely. And uh, what would you like to leave my audience with in terms of how they might follow up with you? Well, I would love to give them the opportunity to to download a checklist that I have, which is called, Does Your Voice Match Your Message? So if you want to know whether the way that you speak matches the words that you're saying, just a little idea about that, you can find that checklist on my website. And that's Accentuate Communication and then forward slash checklist. Accentuate Communication 
forward slash checklist. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes and on the screen for the video version. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. And that, that checklist will, um, I'm sorry, help them do what again? So it will help that it's about 20 questions for you to ask yourself about how you think your voice sounds and how you think you communicate your message to other people. And this will help us to know where the areas are where you're strong and where the areas where you might want to make some improvements in order to be a more clear communicator. I see. And then I suppose that would that would lead them in a direction where they could uh, contact you directly and, and discuss further work. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's terrific. Thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing your experiences. And uh, I suppose I should say I should have started with a hearty hello, right? <laughs> is, is that a sound that is difficult for a lot of non-native English speakers? Actually, it is because it, the H sound doesn't exist in several other languages. Right. Right. So and, it's it's just not a common one. And TH is the other one for whatever reason. Yes. The yes. And, and the uh, and the way Americans. Uh, horribly distort our R's, right? <laughs> <laughs> the yes. R is another big challenge. Yes. I spend a lot of time working on those. You have some challenges there. Well, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> to know of your work, and uh, who knows, I may be able to steer someone your way. Well, thank you. <laughs> Lisa Scott, it's been a delight talking with you. Thank you for being on The Power of Story and Science with me. And for anyone who wants to follow up with me, the easiest way to get in touch is to go to the home page of this program, which you can get to by simply going to storyandscience.com. I'm David Odie, and as always, I thank you for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, Subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.